we have tried to build our business around people who are new, who are trying to get into drinking different spirits, learning about different spirits. We have a really robust education portfolio of introduction to whiskey, introduction to gin, how to make your own stuff, easy to make cocktails, stuff like that. And I, I try to tell as many people as possible that spirits don't need to be intimidating. Anybody can get into this. Find your local distillery, go give it a tour, try their spirits, learn about what they're doing. It's really fun and it's not as scary as I think a lot of people think it is. This is Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher a podcast that shines a light on the best winemakers, craft brewers, and spirit distillers in the DMV. So grab a glass of your favorite adult beverage. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and let's get started. Thank you, Asia. And welcome everyone to the inaugural episode of Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher. I am very excited to be starting off my new show with McClintock Distilling. Braden Bumpers, he's the co-founder of McClintock Distilling Company, and they're out of Frederick, Maryland. I was lucky enough to get a little bit of his time to sit down in his beautiful tasting room and discuss how they do what they do and the magic they create here. Now, this company pretty much helped resurrect the name of McClintock Young from being unjustly lost to the annals of history. But we'll get into that in a few because that's a really cool story. Frederick, Maryland is north of Washington, D.C. It's about 45, about a 45, 50-minute trip north of Washington. And so for my first show, I'm breaking one of my worlds, (laughs) going outside of the DMV. Now, the DMV is a short way of talking about the Washington metropolitan area. Talks about DMV is District, District of Columbia, Maryland, and Virginia. And usually they're in Maryland, you're talking about just the Washington suburbs. Prince George's County, Montgomery County, and Northern Virginia. However, I broke this rule because McClintock is real special. It's one of the younger craft distilleries, and they began to distill in, well, I think they technically started in 2016, but they produced their first bottles in 2017. And they do it inside a historic warehouse space on Frederick's downtown Riverwalk. Since opening their doors, they their spirits have been recognized by several national and international uh, organizations. They have a very special way of doing what they do. So I thought, what better way to start my new show than with an innovative craft beverage producer located right here in my home state of Maryland. So with no further ado, here's my conversation with Braden Bumpers of McClintock Distilling of Frederick, Maryland. Let's all raise a glass. Braden, Bumpers? Yes. I would really like to pre- uh, thank you for being on the show. It's my pleasure. Uh, McClintock Distilling is, uh, you know, I've heard about it several times. I made the trip up here the other day, and you happened not to be here, but I was really happy to hear when you uh, agreed to be on the show. Yeah. I've been trying to get some people to uh, venture up here with me to Frederick. Yeah. So to have people on the show. This is a first for me in a lot of ways. So, I mean, this is the first on-location show I've done in 2020. All right. Because uh, I was doing a lot of small business shows, like I told you before, Mm -hmm. and they would record. I'm in real estate. We do a a recording at my real estate office. Yeah. But when I do craft beverage places, I love to do it there. Yeah. Then the pandemic came, and that was out. (laughs) Yes. So, not that the pandemic has gone away. However, (laughs) 
we're in a little better place right now to do it. Yeah. Uh, the other first is this is the first of my new podcast, Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher. So I'm like to welcome you to that. Uh, this is the first distillery that I have, first owner of a distillery or the first distillery that I've even had a show at. So All I'm right. really excited about that. And this is the first Frederick-based business. All right. That I've been done. So a lot of firsts. Yeah, a lot of firsts. So no pressure, but I expect <laughs> really big things from this. So, <laughs> Good. so I'm really excited to have you here. So let's just start at the beginning. Let's tell me a little bit about you and about McClintock and we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, so yeah, my name is Braden Bumpers. I'm uh, one of the co-founders here. Uh, me and my business partner, Tyler Hagemeyer, started McClintock Distilling. Uh, we opened in December of 2016, so we're coming up on our four-year anniversary. Um, we have been in this industry for a long time. Um, this will be, I think, between the two of us, two, two decades in the alcohol uh, industry. Wow. Um, so uh, we are both... Uh, from the production side. So we're very uh, oriented in how we make our spirits and the quality of the actual products themselves. So we uh, became the first and only certified organic distillery in the state of Maryland. Um, we work with a lot of local farms to grow heirloom and uh, non-genetically modified grains for the use. Uh, we really wanted to recapture what it was that made Maryland whiskey and uh, distilling special. So we're both native Marylanders. We've worked at distilleries in other parts of the country, but when the laws changed, we really wanted to come home and restore our the heritage of distilling here. Cause we used to be you know, widely regarded as making some of the best whiskey coming out of the States in the 1800s and early 1900s. Um, so we have that focus on using traditional old world grains. We're one of a handful of distilleries that still stone mills all of our grains here in house. Um, and we, we, we kind of blend the old world and the new with state of the art distilling technologies with really traditional ingredients. Wow. Uh, Kevin Addicts, yeah. who I had on my other show, who yeah. I hope to have on this show, he mentioned to me about Maryland being at the forefront of rye whiskey, I believe it is. Oh, yeah. And so why is that? Do you know what was it the rye itself? So it was kind of uh, like a perfect storm. Um, Maryland and Pennsylvania, we were the two largest whiskey distilling states um, before uh, Kentucky kind of took over in the early <laughs> 1900s. Right. Um, but we were settled by a lot of uh, immigrants that come from very strong distilling um, uh, countries. So a lot of German people, a lot of Irish people, a lot of Dutch people, you know, long, long time distilling countries. And what they were using in the old world was malted barley. That was pretty much the only thing that was used for whiskey. Um, in our area here in Pennsylvania and Maryland, malted barley doesn't grow so well. It's yeah. a little too hot. Our soil is much more rocky and clay heavy than they have over there. So they used a, uh, a different grain, rye, which grows very well in our soil condition. Um, we always joke that, you know, it, it, particularly here in Western Maryland, that if you can grow anything in the ground here, you're doing something right. Because right. there's not a ton that grows here, <laughs> but rye is one of those things. So um, rye whiskey really took off in popularity. Um, and then continuing on in that, 
as people move further west, uh, a lot of the big Kentucky distillers came out of Maryland. So Johannes Beam, his first distillery was here in Maryland. Oh, okay. Um, half of the Four Roses team, they're pretty big. They started in Maryland as well. Uh, Basil Hayden, uh, uh, Old Granddad, a lot of these brands started here. And when they moved to the Ohio Valley in uh, Kentucky, right doesn't grow quite as well there, but corn does. So they transitioned into bourbon. So I, I usually tell people that if you like Kentucky bourbon, you can thank Maryland Rye for that. Yeah, well, it sounds like it. Sounds yeah. like, well, tell me about McClintock Young. Yes. Because I did a podcast on Ellicott City on the floods uh, a couple of years back mm -hmm. and digging through history. And I came across that name. Mm -hmm. Not a whole lot of information on him, but he was an inventor as far as I know. Yes. Then I saw... Your you know, the name of your distillery. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that we were talking about McClintock Young. Oh yeah. And then when I did some research on you and I found that out, I was like, oh wow. So tell me about this guy. What do? You, why did you name the distillery after him? So he was really an incredible guy. Um, and like you said, there really isn't a lot of information known about him. Um, he was a prolific inventor in the mid 1800s. Um, he's responsible for basically the modern day harvester that they use. Uh, he made a brush making uh, machine that could be operated by one person. Uh, he had a patent on the Velocipede, which was one of the first bicycle templates. Lost his patent race with the penny farthing, which was the one most people are familiar right, with. Right. But he's really incredible. Um, and my business partner grew up here in town um, on a piece of property that McClintock Young uh, and his daughter later lived in. And we found a bunch of his original patent designs. We found a deed of sale of his matchmaking machine to the Diamond Match Company that still use modified version of that today. Um, and we were really fascinated by him. And his a lot of what he did fell right in line with what we wanted to do, which was take a traditional um, manufacturing process, use the highest quality raw ingredients, but then add state-of-the-art manufacturing to it to create a whole new uh, quality of product, which is exactly what we wanted to do. So we decided to use his namesake for our distillery. Um, and it's been really interesting. Like you said, he was almost forgotten about and yeah. now people are learning about him. Um, people have been taking our bottles over to Mount Olivet Cemetery where he's buried and leaving some there. So it's really cool to kind of uh, tie in a little bit of Frederick history, a little bit of Maryland history with what we're doing here. Well. Let me congratulate you because that's an awesome piece of branding. Yeah, it is. Know. It really is. Uh, you know, I grew up here too. I'm a Marylander pretty much. I was born in D.C. Mm -hmm. when I was five. We moved to Silver Spring and lived there all my life. Nice. Two degrees from the University of Maryland. However, growing, that, growing up that close to D.C. when I was younger, I always, and I still do, identify with D.C. more. Sure. But the older I've gotten and the more I've learned about this state, I really love the rich history yeah. here of Maryland. So anybody who brings that up and adds to that, I fully support. So that's, I, that's really, that's cool. <laughs> All right. Before, let's see, before we get to the good stuff, which yeah. is the product, <laughs> uh, let's talk about this building you have here. Because yeah. if I'm not mistaken, this was what, built early 1900s, yep. maybe? Yeah. And uh, we are in Old old Town. Is that what they call Old Town, Frederick? Or yeah, historic, historic downtown. Yeah. Frederick. Well, tell me about it. How did you get here and... Again, great choice of building, but yeah. how did you get here? We got really lucky with this building. Um, you know, part of the reason that we love Frederick, and particularly downtown Frederick, is 
the the building stock down here is just beautiful. You can go to any business downtown and it's some historic building. Um, ours was built. The, it's tough to say because the Hall of Records burned down, but uh, some <laughs> somewhere between 1912 and 1916. Okay. So um, it's over 100 years old. Um, it's a really interesting building. We fell in love with it the first time we we saw it down here. Um, and it has a really interesting bit of history in that it was one of the first auto mechanic garages in existence. So they opened five years before the Model T was even invented. So mm. these were some of the first one-off electric vehicles. And before you know I-95 was built, Frederick was the crossroads for Pittsburgh, for Philly, for Baltimore, for DC. A lot of people were coming there and those early cars didn't exactly have the best range. So right. you'd usually stay here get your car tuned up, stay at the hotel, pick it up in the morning and be on your way. Get your bottle of rye. Exactly. And get out. Yeah. 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 Um, so it, it really is fascinating. And we tried to restore it back to its kind of original aesthetic. Yeah. Um, we found their original sign. We, we restored a lot of the original um, uh, doors and, and aesthetics like that. Well, this is a for what you do to be a distillery. This is a fantastic tasting room. Oh, thank you. you. Know, I've, I've, uh, in doing this, I've been in a lot of tasting rooms for different types of businesses, and they've all been great. Okay, so I don't want to disparage one, <laughs> but uh, this one you really get the flame. Not only can you see some of the production in the back, which I always appreciate, mm -hmm. but again, with you having such a, a branding that's tied into history, yeah, you really get the sense of that when, mm -hmm. you, when you come in here and, and you're at the, in the room. So now, all that said, let's get to the spirits. <laughs> all right. Um, First, let's start with your core uh, selection. What do you What do you have, though? So we're uh, our core products uh, mostly are whiskey, vodka, and gin. So mm -hmm. we're probably best known for our our uh, uh, gin at the moment, but our whiskey has really started to take off because we've um, been able to get some of our aged products out recently. Um, but that's our core portfolio. We also do kind of one off specialty spirits, mm -hmm. um, uh, more for our uh, sanity of making new things every once in a while. And uh, we also do a line of all natural cordials, which was new for us last year. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about a few of these things yeah, now. Yeah, please. Especially the gin. Yes. I, now, it, again, in my old age, I've gone more the way of wine. Sure. However, when I was young and uh, full of whatever, uh, <laughs> I used to drink gin. And I used to think that was such so such a great thing, but yeah. I would I would get gin, I would get Bombay and soda with two limes. That yeah. was my that was my drink. And to me, gin, even though I could taste differences in what I thought was quality mm -hmm. at the time, uh, between say your Bombay and Tangerays and Braille mm -hmm. at the same time, I noticed that your gins. I did some reading up on it. Two questions: one, you it's vapor infused, yes, which I've no idea what that is. So please <laughs> just give me a lay person's uh, uh, explanation. Sure. So uh, essentially the way gin is traditionally made is you start with a neutral spirit. So basically a vodka. Mm -hmm. You take all of your botanicals and you soak them. It's like making a tea. So all of the oils are diffused out of the uh, botanicals you use, one of which has to be juniper to be qualified as a gin. Right. Um, into the spirit. And it, that's what gives it the flavor. Then you take that, you throw it in the still, you redistill it one more time. That's how most gins in the world are made that way. What we found is that 
the juniper berries um, are so dominant in a lot of the compounds that are in them, these alpha pinene and not getting too technical here, but a lot of the really dry compounds that most people are familiar with gin get diffused a lot faster than anything else. So even when you're trying something like a Beefeater or Bombay, you know, they're using seven to nine different botanicals, but all you really taste is the juniper. And we wanted to take an approach like whiskey to our gin, where you mm -hmm. get complexity and depth and there's layers to what's going on. So we custom built a special chamber in our still. It's basically a big basket. All of our botanicals go and in dry into this basket. And then we distill through a neutral spirit, just like if we were making a vodka. But before we collect it, we pass that vapor through the basket and it collects the oils as a steam as it's passing through under pressure rather than as a liquid. So rather than just having the juniper dump its flavor, we do get those juniper compounds, but you also get citrus, floral, spice notes are all extracted evenly, and you get this beautiful complexity in the finished product. And that is, that is an operation or, or process that you came up with? Um, so we are one of the, uh, we were on the early end of vapor infusion, so we did not invent this. I um, thought I was about to say, man, you're, yeah. you're McClintock Young in the flesh, my goodness. No, we didn't invent it. Um, we did change it a little bit. Okay. So vapor infusion is definitely on the early side. Um, a, a lot of what we had seen in the market, which I thought was fascinating when I found other distilleries doing this, is you hang, uh, you, you basically... I, I, it was literally a sock at one of the distilleries. Mm -hmm. I saw they packed it, a, a literal sock with botanicals, and they hang it on top of the still, which I thought was really interesting. But when you're distilling, a lot of that just comes through and goes around the sock and doesn't really, you know, pick up any of the flavor. So we built the special chamber so it actually forces all of the vapor to go through and pass through these botanicals. So you get a much more bold flavor. Um, and you really get a nice, even disbursement of all of the different compounds that we're looking for. Without giving away any uh, proprietary information, mm -hmm. uh, because I was, I was either reading an article, uh, interview of yours, and, or maybe even listening to a podcast, I don't know, but you mentioned these botanicals, mm -hmm. Appalachian botanicals, yes. actually, you mentioned. And I, you know, I just thought that gin was juniper, yep. berry, period. Yeah. So... What are some of these botanicals, whether it's in your uh, mixture, in your uh, gin, or in just other gins? Because you mentioned that even some of the industry gins like Bombay or Beefeater have more than juniper mm -hmm. in them. So what else is in there? Because all I can taste is juniper. Sure. So a lot of the big ones, um, and this is another thing we wanted to do, is there's a lot of overlap between the big brands. So if you look at the top five gins, you look at Tangray, Beefeater, Bombay, Gordon's, and um, you know, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of the ingredients are very similar. So coriander is a very popular one. Orange peel is a popular one. Orris root is in almost all of them. So, you know, we found that gin had kind of developed this monoculture in flavor. And yeah. That it, it was really tough. You know, even being a distiller for a long time, I would have a hard time picking out Gordon's versus beef eater. Right. Um, and especially with the maceration and the juniper being so dominant, it's really tough to find those subtleties. So we wanted to do all three of our gins using very different ingredients. So the Forager, which is our uh, still our most popular product, is an Appalachian inspired gin. 
we wanted to do like how a lot of winemakers do where they embrace the local terroir of yeah. what they have. We wanted to do that, but with gin. So um, we used a lot of ingredients that have never been used before in the production of gin. Um, we've used a lot of stuff that normally would just be destroyed when you soak it, but we can do it because of the vapor infusion mm. process. And the end result is you get this really beautiful, complex flavor that is unlike any other gin out there because we're using different ingredients in a different production method. And the end result is the juniper is there, but we look at our gins like building a house of flavor and the juniper is the foundation and you get citrus, uh, you know, citrus building up and you get these really nice earthy floral compounds. And then it finishes with that really crisp spice blend and you get this wild and woodsy flavor in the gin. I've never heard anyone describe gin like that. <laughs> we love gin a lot. <laughs> gin was uh, my my business partner. His his true love is whiskey. My true love is is gin. Yeah. Well, as I said, it used to be my uh, drink yeah. of choice. Yeah. But uh, I'll have to try some of that. Before yeah. I leave. Definitely. Uh, you mentioned. Um, no, you didn't mention. I saw that you have some collaborations. Yes. That you do with some some other produce. Are they Maryland producers? Or yes. Things? Yeah, mostly Maryland producers. Can you uh, mention some of them? Sure. Uh, so we do a lot um, of barrel exchanges. So uh, when we're making our rye and bourbon whiskey, um, we use a new cooperage barrel every time. That's that's the law. Um, so we're buying in a lot of new barrels. And when we're done with them, we can't reuse them to mm -hmm. make bourbon and rye. But they're still you know, perfectly functional. Sure. They hold liquid in them. And they have a lot of really cool compounds that the whiskey has imparted into the wood. Um, so we work with a lot of local breweries who take our, our bourbon barrels and we've seen a ton of different products aged in them. Um, so the Old Mother's uh, Matriarch local brewery, uh, Idiom has done, I think, a beer in every single one of <laughs> our barrels at yeah. some point in time. Um, uh, Midnight Run, uh, we did a big collaboration with Manor Hill we're excited uh -huh. about out of Baltimore um, where... They did a Russian Imperial Stout, my old friend, aged in our bourbon barrels, but they made an extra big batch. We took some of the beer, distilled it into a whiskey, took one of the barrels after they were done aging their beer in it and put the beer distilled into whiskey oh, wow. aged in that barrel. So this is a barrel that started as a bourbon, then went to a beer, and now it's back in a distilled beer whiskey spirit. Wow. So, <laughs> a lot of really fun things. Um, and then we work with local uh, distilleries as well. So we just did a, um, a two-part collaboration with the Baltimore Spirits Company, um, who are our younger, really innovative guys, kind of like us. Um, and uh, we did a 400-year-old Dutch-style Yenever, which is a very specialty spirit, but we, it's basically a gin made with a whiskey base. We used their epic rye whiskey base. They used our bootjack rye base. And then we flip-flopped botanicals. And we did a really savory botanical mix. They did a lighter, more floral botanical mix. And we have the Baltimore series and the Frederick series, which <laughs> now, is really Is that cool. a clear liquid or is it a... Is it a so the first brown? one we released was a clear. It was an unaged right. Geneva. Um, but we took half of the batch. Um, we uh, aged through ours and I used rye whiskey barrels, one of our bootjack barrels. Mm -hmm. They took their half of theirs and aged it one of their uh, aged rye whiskey barrels. And we'll have the second version of that available in November. Wow. Have any winemakers approached you? Um, you know, they're doing some of this 
red wine with yes. uh, uh, bourbon uh, barrels. So we do a lot of um, rectification for winemakers, which is a fancy way of saying we take some of their wine, distill it into a brandy, and yeah. then they use it to fortify their ports and their dessert right. wine, stuff yeah. like that. Um, we are uh, talking with a winery right now about using some of our bourbon barrels, but uh, the quantities that they need, we do not have yet. <laughs> yeah, so maybe yeah. once we get a little bit bigger, yeah. we'll start getting into yeah. that. Well, I know that uh, you did have a collaboration with one of my favorite. I won't say it's my favorite because I <laughs> try to stay friends impartial, with everyone. Yeah. Yeah, be impartial. <laughs> but uh, Black Ankle yes. Vineyard. Uh, I know that uh, Ed Boyce was telling me that I think you all did some of the port that was, it. I mean, some of the what it distilled grapes or yes. whatever the fortification for their port. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we did some of theirs, um, and then we we took. They had a, a syrah that they had been sitting on for a while that um, tasted delicious, but it was cloudy. Um, mm -hmm. the, uh, so we distilled that into a uh, grape brandy that we've been aging for about two years now. Uh oh. So we're gonna we're gonna let it go a little bit longer, but I'm excited to release that one. Okay. And that will be your that will be your, our product. Yeah, That'll be a collaboration. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. We love those guys. They do a really cool, uh, really cool products. Whenever somebody asks me for a recommendation of a winery in Maryland, mm -hmm. that's usually the first name to come out of my oh, mouth. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think they do a really good job. Oh, yeah. Um, then we, you know, I started off talking about the pandemic mm -hmm. and how it definitely was a jolt to everybody. Yeah. I stopped doing on location interviews and I know that a lot of businesses like your own um, had to stop doing some of the things you were doing, at least, you know, as far as your tasting room and that's concerned. Mm -hmm. But I know that a lot of distillers and other producers of ethanol uh, started making hand sanitizer. Yes. So uh, I understand that you all got into some of that business too. Are you still producing hand sanitizer? Uh, we are um, definitely not in the quantities that we were during the the height of the pandemic, um, but uh, it was something we wanted to do. It, it's kind of like that helpless feeling that I know a lot of business owners felt during that time right. where, you know, we have to shut down our tasting room. We still have, you know, we were fortunate in that, you know, we have a very strong distribution network. So we were still moving a lot of product through mm -hmm. liquor stores. Um and we wanted to do something to just try and help people. And right. we, we actually already had our industrial permit, which you need to do that uh, from a different project years ago. Wow. So we were able to switch right away. Um, and the first like 2000 uh, gallons we made, we just gave away. We donated to the Frederick County um, first responders and uh, city employees to keep everything running here. Uh, and once we did that, we realized how how much people wanted it. Yeah. So then we really started scaling up and we ended up making about 54,000 gallons wow. of hand sanitizer. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lake. <laughs> it's about, yeah, it's, it's seven tanker trucks filled. Wow. Wow. Is it something you think you would, I don't know what it, how much of uh, your resources it takes up. Can you, do you think you'll continue to do something like that? Probably, uh, probably not for too much longer. Okay. Um, you know, we did it because there was no other options available for people sure. so we were just trying to you know get it in the hands of people who needed it but now that um it seems to be more readily available yeah. we're scaling back and then once you know we hit early next year we're hoping to get out of that okay. industry because it's always nice to know you can go back to it if you have yeah, to. Though, it's, yeah. you know it's not a not a it's not a real huge money maker so right, it's just right. something to, to try and help people and 
you know, if people don't need it anymore, I don't want to make it anymore. <laughs> a lot less fun and a lot less delicious than the other stuff we make. <laughs> well, I, I spent a lot of time on gin. Is there, are there any other uh, of your line that you want to talk about that you that you think we should highlight? Yeah. Um, so our whiskey, we're we're really proud of our whiskey, and this year our um, bootjack rye was really kind of the standout at the big international competitions. It won top awards at pretty much every major um, uh, spirits judging. Um, it's probably my favorite of the products that we make here. Is that the clear uh, whiskey? That's the uh, the aged the aged rye. Okay. Okay. So we have three whiskeys, the white whiskey, which is a rye, yeah. um, our bootjack rye, and our matchstick straight bourbon. Um, the bourbon is probably what we're most known for. We won a very big award for that last year, so people oh, sell out of that very quickly. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think the rye is something that's truly special and really uh, captures what makes Maryland rye, you know, that next category up mm -hmm. from what you normally find at the liquor store. Um, I, I think the types of grains we're using, a lot of people think of rye um, and sometimes whiskey in general as being a little punchy, a little harsh, you know, can be very heavy. Um, but we're using all of these traditional heirloom, basically bakery grade grains. So rather than getting that that punchy spice to it, you get fruit and caramel and all of these really nice complexities to it that, uh, you know, I, I try to say we are the we're the, the, the gateway drug to getting into the world of whiskey. And yeah. we have really approachable, really soft, really fun drinking whiskeys that are different. And we can, you know, segue people into whiskey because it's also a really fun category. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the rye thing, uh, I went through a rye phase. Yeah, yeah. Short one, short yeah, yeah, rye yeah. phase. And, um, you know, it has a very interesting taste, but nothing like what you described, mm -hmm. you know. And I, I can't even tell you what brand it was. I think it was something that was an off brand of, I think Lem Motlow, who make Jack Daniels. I guess I think it was theirs, mm -hmm. and so it was. It was okay, but I'm really intrigued by the Maryland rye, and it's thing. it's cool to see as an industry. You know, we have a lot of really good mm -hmm. distilleries that are kind of bringing back the prominence of Maryland rye and being authentic about what you know we're doing here. And it's it's cool to see that that rye is a growing spirit category because yeah. it's you know. When when we entered into this industry, it was a sliver of yeah, the whiskey yeah. category. It was virtually nothing, and it's grown every year. And people are more interested um, in rye in general, but also Maryland style rye. Yeah. Well, I'm very big in trying to brand that yeah. stuff, Maryland stuff. Now, you're educating me about Maryland rye. Yeah. I focus on wine a lot, mm -hmm. and you know, I think the Mid Atlantic is like Napa in the early 70s. Yeah. We're never going to make that that volume. Yeah. Because we don't have that many grapes. Yeah. However, uh, I like educating people about the what you expect in the bottle. Yeah. Because you get a lot of people who open a bottle of Maryland wine and expect California wine and say, right. oh, that's terrible. It's like, no. It's just, just different. A, it's just different. You have yeah. a bad expectation. Yeah. So that's definitely something we... Um, uh, we have a big focus on sustainability here. Um, where well, you're reading my mind. Yeah. I was going to go right into that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a perfect segue because that's something um, we, Tyler and I just got appointed to the head of the um, Sustainability Committee, which is a new committee for the American Distilling Institute, which oh. is our big um, wow. uh, uh, kind of national level guild. Um, and one of the things that we put a focus on is utilizing the local ingredients that you can get and mm -hmm. it's just like in wine where 
you know, rye grown here is different than rye grown in Pennsylvania or rye grown in the, you know, the Midwest. Um, and it's, you know, I, I like the winemakers that are utilizing the grapes that grow here uh -huh. and the types of things that are suited for our environment. So you're not trying to you know, force all of these weird varietals and, and stuff into the ground when it's just not going to work. Here. Right. You have to work with the environment instead of against it. Right. Yeah. As you grow um, and scale up, you, you, were, you led me to where I was going next. <laughs> Actually, I'll get back to sustainability because I yeah. have some other questions about that too. Yeah. Um, you know, you want to use, you're building your brand on the Maryland ingredients. And uh, if you were to go national, say, or the more you expand out, sure. you may not be able to rely if, if you're, depending on how much you're, I guess it's a good problem to have in business, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, say you can't get, you cannot obtain enough material, enough uh, product to make what you need to uh, support the demand elsewhere. Sure. Uh, what is that? Is there anywhere else that you found possibly that you can maybe get this type of thing or is it different? So mostly the, the, when we're talking about grains, um, that was kind of a challenge that we found early on is mm -hmm. that, you know, Maryland has done a really good job setting up an organic program. Um, there is a good amount of organic farms here. Almost all of them are fruits and vegetables because that's where your ROI is. Sure. It's a lot tougher, you know, when you're talking apples being several dollars a pound, when you're talking grain, you know, commodity corn is seven cents a pound. Right. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of these guys are, they just don't, don't, you know, we were, we were butting heads with a lot of people when we started, but a lot of these people, when we started, we had one farm growing everything for us. Mm -hmm. um, we had to patch in grain from other sources. Now we have four farms. We're able to connect with these people. And a lot of these guys are multi-generational family farmers. The biggest buyer of Maryland grain is Purdue chicken. And yeah. they, they buy a shocking amount of grain out of Maryland and they pay seven cents a pound. So per acre, you know, it's not super great. It's very hard in this day and age for commodity grain farmers to make a living. And yeah. it's, tough to see, you know, fourth, fifth generation farms that just can't make it anymore. And we have been able to connect with farmers that are ready to take the next step to get them to start growing for us because we pay 40, 30, 40 cents a pound. So a lot of these people that have, you know, smaller, you know, 150, 250 acre farms, you, you can't, you can't pay a mortgage growing Monsanto dent corn anymore. Yeah. So by switching to growing organic for us, they're able to make a lot more money. They're able to keep the the farm in the family hands. They're able to um, you know reduce their impact on the environment and the the watershed that they're in. Um, and I think you know we're hoping the more and more people we get on board growing for them, we can show other farmers that this is a model that works, that is beneficial for both them and us. And, you know, if, if we can get one, one, one 100th of, you know, Maryland farmland growing for us, that's enough to supply a, a lot of whiskey. So, you know, we don't need everybody on board. Yeah. Um, and we're hoping to grow that side of the business as well as, you know, the production side of the business. Good. Yeah, I like supporting Maryland farmers. Yeah, or local farmers. Absolutely, whatever they do. Yeah. So back to the sustainability. Yes. Um, 
tell me everything because I did some reading about your operation here and you're mm-hmm. pretty much, well, you tell me, what, what is everything that you've done? Yeah. To, um, to so sustainability was a big part of what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that's very um, important to me and my business partner, Tyler, just personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we, when we set up the operation, uh, the first thing we did, we switched our utilities over. We're one of a handful of distilleries in the U.S. that is 100% renewable energy powered. Um, we designed and built our own wastewater recycling um, loop uh, that is really neat. Uh, it basically has reduced our wastewater by about 250,000 gallons. Um, right now we're looking at a way we recycle our glass and cardboard, but that's really the last waste product that we have. So we're trying to find a way to reuse that in a more efficient way than just sh- shipping it out to the recycling plant. Um, and pretty much all of our other waste products are upcycled. So our spent grain after we're done distilling it goes out to a local hog farmer, still has a lot of really good proteins in it. Um, so he he gets to feed that to his organic certified cows and pigs. It's a win-win there. Um, our botanical blends, uh, after we're done distilling with them, still have a lot of good flavor to them. So we partnered with a local ginger beer manufacturer. Oh, wow. Um, she uses it to make ginger beer. Um, that's really good. And we're working to extend that partnership to a few other people. Um, some A local restaurant, The Wine Kitchen, have used it to roll some pork in and then they'll braise it and it's delicious. <laughs> that's it's really is. good. Wow. So we're always looking for, you know, ways that we can reduce our impact. Um, definitely one of the toughest things for us reopening after COVID is using all disposable uh, drinkware, which hurts my heart every time we do it, <laughs> but it's, you know, safety takes priority at this point. So. Yeah. Wow. Well, do you think that's ever, that's going to change back ever? You know, um, I, it's so hard to yeah hard to predict. predict. Yeah. yeah, it's we're we're just kind of now we're just evaluating everything like month by month basis. <laughs> yeah, I just you know I see some practices uh, you know that we've gone to to reduce the transmission of germs. Yeah, and I'm wondering, wow, are we ever going to go back to the other one or or, or not? Yeah, yeah, I, I think there is a lot. Like one of the things that has been incredibly helpful for us was. Maryland allowed direct-to-consumer shipping, which we do now, which, you know, we deliver within 30 miles. We can get it out in a few days, and it's been, you know, a godsend. And that law is from from prohibition. This right. is the only reason we can't do it is because no, no, nobody wants to step up and be like, I want to be the guy to change the alcohol laws in, in Maryland and yeah. make it easier for us. So Yeah. I should do some reporting up on uh, in Annapolis. Yeah. And that always comes up. Well, yeah. you know what, Francho, it always comes up. Yes. Yeah. He's definitely been a, a champion of our industry yeah. for yeah. sure. So um, what about serving cocktails in tasting rooms? Is, is that, pa- that hasn't passed yet. That has passed. Oh, it has. Um, we don't. Um, okay. That's just personal choice for us. Um, okay. But I know a, most uh, most distilleries have switched to doing cocktails in their tasting room. Okay. Um, that uh, we were very happy to get that uh, moved through Annapolis. Okay. Uh, I think it was last July it took effect. Um, for us, we really want the spirits to be the highlight of the show. Um, and what we've seen at some other places, you know, DC and Virginia have been doing cocktails for a long time. <laughs> yeah, well, no, and just, yeah, and, yeah. And it's, you know, I see a lot of these distilleries that have really interesting products and good stories just kind of turn into a cocktail bar and right. people don't learn about you know, distilling and what makes their spirit special. And it, 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 
was tough because there is a lot of, uh, you know, there's some good margins in cocktails, <laughs> but we really, at the end of the day, want everything to be about the spirits. And yeah. that's what our focus is here. Um, we did recently take over the building next to us. Mm -hmm. We are building that out into a cocktail bar. So if people are interested oh, okay. in it, um, they'll be able to, uh, they'll be able to grab, you know, a drink after they finish the tour and tasting here. Do you have a, a date, a target date to open? We don't. It's a it's a pretty small space. Um, it's about it's a fifty person capacity. Uh, intimate spaces are not super <laughs> in right now, right, right. so we're just right. taking it slow. Sure. You know, making sure we get all the details correct. Um, so, you know, maybe start of next year. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see what the numbers. Yeah, say. we're not we're not rushing into to anything there. We want to make sure everything is safe before we do that. If you had like a message that you could send. You said you've been in this business 20 years. Yeah. You opened this place four years ago. Mm -hmm. So let's go to 2015. Sure. If there was a message that you could send yourself right now in 2015 that you wish you had known in 2015, what would it be? Put away more whiskey. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, no, I, I, think, I think the thing that surprised me most um, over the last few years is the level of interest and education desired by the average consumer. So 2015 and before, you know, it was rare that people would ask, where is this made? You know, are you buying this in bulk and rebottling it yourself? You know, people, I, I, you know, I never thought that was going to be a thing, but now people are looking for authenticity. They're looking for that story. They're looking for who's behind what they're making. Um, and it's, fascinating to see it's something that's very good for for us you know a, a brand like ours but um it, it's it's great to see and i hope it keeps trending in that direction you know it's kind of following the footsteps of a lot of like the restaurants and the food industry yeah. where people are now much more focused on you know where are you getting your pork products where are you getting your vegetables are you using local farms and that kind of farm to fork movement we're, we are starting to kind of see in the beverage side now which is exciting one last question yeah please um what is a common if there is one yeah misconception it could be about mcclintock or it could just be about craft distillers in general is there a misconception or something that you would like to clear up for everybody out there yes um i think uh a lot of people think spirits are very intimidating both in terms of the people that are associated with uh you know the the big whiskey heads that are out there and in terms of the amount of knowledge you need to get into the industry and we have tried to build our business around people who are new who are trying to get into drinking different spirits learning about different spirits we have a really robust education portfolio of you know introduction to whiskey introduction to gin how to make your own stuff um you know easy to make cocktails stuff like that and i i try to tell as many people as possible that spirits don't need to be intimidating anybody can get into this you know find your local distillery go give it a tour try their spirits learn about what they're doing it's it's really fun um and it's not as scary as i think a lot of people think it is okay well uh i will say one more thing yeah for you is there uh is there, are there any events you mentioned the education mm -hmm. piece 
that are coming up or anything you'd like the anyone listening to know about? Yes. Uh, I will let you know just so we can put everything in context. This probably will drop like about two to three weeks okay. from today. Yeah. So if you talk about something that's going to happen tomorrow, yeah. it won't happen. Okay. Gotcha. Right. Um, so we are doing our, uh, our education is back up um, on our website. Uh, probably our most popular classes are Distilling 101, which is an all-day, um, more uh, intensive intensive course that we do. It's a hands-on experience. So you mill your own grain, you mash, you ferment, oh, wow. you distill. Uh, and then you get to take home a two-liter barrel of the whiskey we make that day. So it's a really fun class, but it's also a ton of information. And it's a great way to learn, um, just learn more about spirits or if you're considering opening a commercial distillery or if you're a, you know, at home producer in the gray area of the law, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a good way to, to learn everything you need to, to know about whiskey, gin and spirits in general. Okay. All right, Braden. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. I appreciate you having I've me. I've certainly learned a lot here. I'm going to try some of that botanical gin. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Because that, that was, I, I'm telling you, I was just, I didn't know any of that. Yeah. I, I thought it was all juniper. Oh, yeah. Yeah, gin, wow. gin can be a beautiful thing. Well, oh, and we'll leave it at that. Thank <laughs> you very much for being on. Thank you. Well, that's it. That's our first episode. I had a blast. I'd like to thank Braden Bumpers and all the great folks at McClintock Distilling for being so generous with their time. And yes, yes, I had a few tastes. I purchased a bottle of Forager Gin, which was the gin we talked about with all the botanicals. And I'm looking forward to having a Maryland Martini shaken, not stirred. I'm going to have to say goodbye to Bombay, I think. If you've not subscribed to the pod, I hope you do so. We're looking to grow. Please rate us too on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We need those ratings to help us grow. Please tell your friends about us. They will thank you. I will thank you, I'm sure. We want to help promote the craft beverage makers in the DMV and maybe in Frederick, a few in Richmond and some others. We'll see. This podcast was produced by my friends at Q9. They take the mess that I give them and they make it sound good. They are really good at what they do. So if you're in the podcast business, Google Q9, give them a look. They'll take care of you. Trust me. We'll be back next week with another craft beverage maker in the DMV or nearby. Thanks for listening. I truly appreciate it. Listen, I know there's a ton of media out there you could be listening to or you could devote your time to. You could just be binging something inane on Netflix instead of listening to me babbling your ear. So I appreciate the listenership. Please keep coming back. I appreciate it. And remember, always have a designated driver so I can see you next time. Isficata. You have been listening to Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher, part of the Fletcher Podcast Group. You can reach Howard at his website, barreltastingpod.com. I'm Asia Blue. Thanks for listening. See you next time.